The following is a presentation of Hawkeye's Mike LLC. Weissman to the end zone. Iowa a point away from tying the game inside a minute remaining. How about this kid? Mark Weissman with Iowa losing about a dozen running backs the last three years to injury, off the field issues, transfers. They turn to a walk-on fullback transfer from Air Force. And Mark Weissman with his eighth rushing touchdown of the season and over 100 yards for the fourth straight game. Hello everyone, this is John Patchett and welcome to the football show from Hawkeyes Mike. We have our first of two weekly reporters notebook segments in this podcast featuring Susan Dank who looks back at the Hawks Big Ten road win at Michigan State. You'll also hear some of what Iowa head coach Kirk Ferentz had to say on the weekly Big Ten coaches call. This Hawkeyes Mike podcast is one in a series of our weekly programs which include Brent Balbinot and Marv Cook as well as sports reporters and columnists Scott Docterman of the Gazette, the Hawkeyes Susan Dank, and Steve Steve Batterson from the Quad City Times. Be sure to check out Marv Cook's X's and O's show and our other Reporters Notebook podcast. The Iowa-Michigan State game highlights are courtesy of ESPN with announcers Dave Pash and Brian Greasy. A great job calling this game filled with punts and field goals. We very much appreciate it and thank them. Hawkeyes Mike football programs come to you following every game during the entire season and are brought to you in part by Prefence Hand Sanitizer. One application lasts all day. Try the hand sanitizer used by the Iowa Hawkeyes and remember, the best defense is Prefence. And by the Marsh Cook Investment Group in Coralville, Iowa. Marsh Cook, for all your investment needs. Iowa head coach Kirk Ferentz participated in the weekly Big Ten Coaches Conference call this week. Here's some of what he had to say first about the key to Iowa's defensive success thus far this season. I think the guys have just worked hard uh, pretty much daily and you know we're making progress. We were hopeful that we could during the course of the season and you know some weeks have been better than others obviously but I think I think the group's grown. We're getting good leadership from uh, Steve Bigak uh, and Joe Gagliano our two seniors and you know the linebackers are doing a good job so you know it's just uh We've been growing a little bit, but it's you know we're hardly out of the woods at this stage. It's, it's still early, but uh, you know I thought I thought they improved during the course of spring. I thought they improved in our preseason work, and you know I think we've we've been making incremental incremental progress uh, week to week. But you know we're not there yet. But uh, you know the guys are working hard. I think they're they're giving their best, and Reese Morgan's done a really good job working with a very young and experienced group. So it's uh, yeah we're we're not there, but the good news is I think we can continue to improve if everybody you know just keeps working. Ferentz provided a Mark White. Update. He's got a you know sprained ankle, and you know so that much we do know. Uh, the MRIs were were encouraging. You know we'll, we'll let him work lightly and just you know see where we're at. But you know you're asking a guy to play a position that's, that's really you know obviously demanding on the lower body to go out there and play. So we, we really won't know until we see him at practice. And you know if, even if he could play, I don't know how effective or how long he could play. So I think you know bottom line is we just have to assume he's not going to be there. If he's there, that's great. But you know we just have to take the approach mentally that he's not going to be with us. Kirk added that he expects Ken. Zeri to play versus Penn State. Yeah, he's one of the last guys standing. So, uh, you know, right now, if, if you can stand on both feet and uh, know the plays, you, you got a chance to be in there. But the good news 
news is he's yeah, he got cleared uh, probably I don't know four or five weeks ago from from the uh, medical standpoint and uh, has practiced well. His attitude's great, and I think he's looked better at every week. So you know that that that's good because uh, you know we're running out of guys. But uh, you know the bad news is you know we we kind of talk about him like he's a grizzled veteran player. I think he's had one start here, and I don't know how many carries career-wise. So but at least uh, you know he's been on the field and been hit like you know by Division One football players. That that's a positive. And Ference talks about what it's been like working with his three sons on the team this season. Well, it's been fantastic. You know, it started back however many years ago when Brian entered our program. That was a treat. You know, none of it's happened by design, but it just happened. I think any dad would tell you, you know, anytime you go with your kids, that's, that's pretty special. So, especially when you're in a coaching, we're not the only profession that works hard, but, uh, you know, coaching, you miss a lot of time from your kids. So, you know, in some small way, it's a, it's a little bit of a payback. <laughs> Let's take a quick look back at some game notes and key stats from last Saturday's game. The Iowa Hawkeyes came away from their first true road game of the year with a hard-fought 19-16 victory in two overtimes over Big Ten Legends division rival Michigan State. The game of field position on a rain-soaked natural turf was dominated by field goals and punting. Each team scored only one touchdown. The Spartans at the beginning of the game, the Hawkeyes at the end of regulation. The game also marked the 100th win at Iowa for head coach Kirk Ferentz. He's only the second coach in Hawkeyes football history to achieve that mark, Hayden Fry the first, and only the twelfth coach to do so at a Big Ten conference institution. This was the second time in the series that Iowa and Michigan State played into overtime. Last time it was in 2009 at Kinnick Stadium, and the Hawkeyes have won both of those games. Iowa's last three games played at Spartan Stadium have all been decided by three points. The Hawkeyes now lead the all-time series 23-19-2, and they are 10-10-1 in games played in East Lincoln. Place kicker Mike Meyer was money in the bank once again for the Hawks. He hit on all four of his field goal attempts, including two in overtime, and he's now 14 of 15 on the season. While the Hawkeyes' offense was held in check most of the day by Michigan State's defense, one of the best in the nation, Iowa finally got two sustained drives in the fourth quarter. Running back Mark Weissman held to only 20 yards in the first half, finished the game with 116 yards and one TD on 26 carries. It's his fourth straight 100-plus yard game. Defensively, Iowa was led by linebackers Anthony Hitchens who had 15 tackles. He's now averaging 13 tackles per game on the year and leads the nation. And by James Morris who had 10. Defensive lineman Joe Gaglione played an outstanding game. He had 12 tackles plus he got his team leading fourth sack of the season. Jordan Cotton had a 45 yard kickoff return Iowa's longest of the season that he actually took all the way for a touchdown but it was called back due to a block in the back penalty. Quarterback James Van Vandenberg played a very lackluster game, to say the least, and he was sacked one time. That's the first sack given up by Iowa since its opening game against Northern Illinois. Key stats. Iowa had only 257 yards of total offense. Michigan State wasn't a whole lot better. It had 328. The Hawkeyes passed for 134 yards. The Spartans' Andrew Maxwell for 179. Total offensive plays were absolutely even at 70 apiece, and the possession time for both teams through the two overtimes was within two seconds of each other. Third down conversions continue to be a problem for the Hawks. They were only 6 of 19. The Spartans were nearly as bad, 6 of 18. Iowa sacked Maxwell twice. If you like punting, you've come to the right place. <laughs> In trouble as Vandenberg has an interception.
interception. It was tipped, and Allen made the play. Golston, who's 6-7, had a big paw on it and tipped it. They brought pressure right up the middle with both linebackers. Golston got pressure from the outside. Golston, six, six foot seven. You can't throw a screen pass over him. You've got to move your feet, throw it around him. Great play by the defense for Michigan State, and Danico Allen with a great catch. Time now for the first of our two weekly Reporters Notebook shows with Susan Dank. You can read Susan's articles in the Hawkeye and online at thehawkeye.com. You can also follow Susan on Twitter at Susan Dank. Susan looks back at the Michigan State game and more. Susan, two teams that pride themselves on their toughness and playing physical, almost old school, Big Ten style football. That's what that game was. Another close, grinded out win in this series in pretty bad weather. It was pretty miserable up in East Lansing. It rained. I was beginning of the game, and I think in the middle it kind of tapered off a little bit and then started up again toward the end. But it was just incredibly windy and rainy, and that is exactly what you saw. Two physical teams, you know, the number one defense in the in the conference coming into it. And, you know, obviously Iowa prides itself on its defense. So it was, it was just a very hard-fought, very good game to watch. It's sort of bookend TDs is the way I described it. Michigan State's TD early in that first quarter after the Vandenberg threw the interception, and then Iowa's TD late in the fourth quarter and everything in between was punting and field goals. <laughs> that is the perfect way to describe it. Um, you know, absolutely. After that first drive with the Vandenberg interception, you really thought, oh my, you know, what are we in for here? You know, because Michigan State had no problem bringing it into the end zone. But then it was. Um, I think the teams combined for 17 punts throughout the game, you know, until that final drive that Iowa had with just a few minutes left in, in regulation to finally make it into the end zone. But in between, it was, you know, pretty much just uh, punted back and forth and, and get some work. You alluded to the fact it was the best defense in the Big Ten right now and probably the best defense Iowa will face all season. And to be fair, you have to remember Ohio State, which has a pretty prolific offense this year, only scored 17 points when they played in East Lansing. But it's probably also fair to say that Iowa won this game in spite of its offense. I mean, how many games are you likely to win with only 257 yards in total offense? Absolutely. You know, it was interesting watching it because you did have this defense that was number one. But then you have this offense that really has not done much of anything all year. You know, they'd finally kind of started getting into some kind of rhythm, and they just had nothing again on Saturday. Um, it was the first time that Mark Weissman really hasn't been able to just run through people and over people. He really had some trouble with that up until, you know, that final drive, that the touchdown scoring drive. Um, but Vandenberg looked like he had been looking earlier, and it, it, it's hard to say how much of that is, is, you know, Vandenberg and the offense still having quite a ways to go and how much of that was the defense. Now let's come back to Vandenberg in a minute. Talk about a couple of positives that came out offensively. Weissman, only 20 yards on 11 carries in the first half, but then he finished the game with 116 yards on 26 carries, and of course that one big TD at the end of the game. It's his fourth straight game over 100 yards, the 
37-yard run on third and six late in the fourth quarter was a difference maker in that touchdown drive. And then he was injured on that TD carry, and it's questionable for the Penn State game. And what really made that impressive was Michigan State entered the game ranked 10th nationally against the run, only giving up three yards per carry average and 86 yards a game. Yeah, it, it really was interesting to watch him as the game went along because early on, I mean, he just had nothing. There was nothing there. You know, Every time you thought maybe there's a hole, it instantly closed, and he just couldn't get anything going. You know, But the second half, you know, I, I'm sure they made some adjustments like Iowa teams always do, and he really was able to find a little bit more. And then, like you said, that third down run, you know, third and six, and he, he breaks out for 37. That was, you know, that was the difference right there. If he wouldn't have done that, Iowa probably doesn't score. There's no overtime, and it's, it's just over. Watching the game on replay, Brian Greasy, who was doing the analysis on the ESPN call, talked about the fact that it looked like the biggest adjustment Weissman made at the half or the Iowa offense made was that Weissman showed more patience in making his cuts in the second half. And that was something we had commented on in the first half, that he just needed to be patient and not really, you know, try so hard, you know, wait for things to develop instead of just kind of, you know, barreling ahead. So it was really great to see him able to make those adjustments and, you know, very interested to see if he'll be able to go again on Saturday night. He was wearing a boot um, on that right foot in postgame. Here's an interesting factoid, and it seems especially significant to me given the play of Mike Myers so far this year, but Weissman is now responsible for 36% of Iowa's total scoring this season. He's had 48 points, and no other player on the Hawkeyes has scored more than one TD. I actually saw that this morning, and that's kind of scary. If he can't go, what's going to happen? If somebody else is going to be able to step up and replace some of that production, you know, if Vandenberg can maybe get something going again um, and, and find some receivers, or if, you know, Kanzeri or Garmin or whoever steps into that position can do that, because they are definitely going to need some offense if Weissman can't go. Tina Davis had six catches in each of Iowa's last three games, including that key 35-yard catch down the right sideline to the Michigan State 49 to keep that last drive alive. And a pretty decent game by Martin Manley. He also had six catches. Yeah, they are looking good. You know, I think they're finally starting to um, develop into the players that a lot of us thought they were going to be. You know, they are very talented, very, very quick. They just need a chance. And, you know, a lot of the passes, again, were these, you know, short passes that everyone's complaining about, you know, week after week with Iowa. You know, but they really did have some, some great catches this past week. Now let's turn to the more problematic aspect of Iowa's offense so far this year. I uh, I tweeted Sunday afternoon, has Vandenberg become a no-dimensional quarterback? I mean, he's never been a particularly good runner. Now he appears he's become a bad passer with poor judgment and especially regressing on his fundamentals and especially his footwork. And in fact, both radio analysts, Podolak and Jim Miller for Michigan State, who of course was an NFL quarterback, and Brian Greasy on the ESPN telecast remarked several times about how poor Vandenberg's fundamentals looked in that game. Yeah, he really does, you know, has seemed to regress. He's never, you know, this year really, and even last year, um, you know, kind of lived up to the expectations. But this year he really has. I don't know if he's, he's maybe pushing too hard, if he's seeing these problems in the offense and thinking, you know, I need to do something about it and, you know, just throwing everything, you know, all the fundamentals and everything he's, he's learned in the past out the window. Um, yeah, we re- everyone thought, you know, in, under Greg Davis that he would really kind of blossom and come into his own this senior year, and it just hasn't happened yet. And it's, it's kind of puzzling. The most interesting thing to me about the footwork issue is, I don't know if you remember, but back at the one of Greg Davis's press conferences after he was hired, I think I asked a question about what, when he coaches quarterbacks, does he focus on, you know, the arm slot or footwork or whatever? And he emphasized that he really focuses on the footwork aspect 
often. And yet you see that issue really being a major factor right now for Vandenberg. Right. So I, I don't know if that says that you know, he just has those issues that maybe can't be worked out, um, you know, maybe has to compensate some other way or, or what that really says. Like you said, it's reasonable to give credit to Michigan State's defense, one of the best in the country. And the bad weather and the bad field conditions certainly contributed to it. Uh, but that really, that doesn't explain the whole issue there. I mean, apart from the mechanics, you can't continue to blame his receivers on running wrong routes or not being open because even if you account for some of that, there's way too many passes that are way off the mark, even short passes. A couple of those screen pass plays Saturday could have gone for big gains, and he couldn't even complete a five-yard screen pass. Yeah, they were really making us shake our heads, you know, when we saw that he couldn't even do those simple things like that. You know, he does have a tendency to get locked into one person, and he doesn't see other things. You know, that's always been a criticism on him. But it really does seem like he's just, he just keeps going backwards, and it really is something that needs to be fixed, or, you know, maybe somebody else has to come in and, and see what they can do. Now, they talk about under the Davis concept that there's the quarterback leaves the huddle, especially Vandenberg as a fifth-year senior, with some options available, and he's supposed to make his pre-snap reads, but he seems to be making a lot of the bad judgments when he's doing that because he, he appears to be audibling out of whatever Davis called in or the primary play was supposed to be, and he doesn't seem to be making very good blitz reads, and then he looks like he gets happy feet and panics, and, you know, bottom line, I think Mark Morehouse wrote after the game last year, Vandenberg seemed to make a lot of the makeable plays, and he's just not doing it this year, and we're through six games, and he's only got two touchdown passes. Yeah, that is really shocking. Um, you know, I think if anyone had the answer, it'd be, it'd be fixed right now. It just is really perplexing that, you know, we knew he wasn't going to come in and be some credible record-breaking quarterback, but we thought he was going to be much better than he has shown, at least, you know, through the first, you know, beginning of the season here. You know, whether it's, I don't want to say more complex offense, but, you know, the different offense and having to learn new things and maybe putting that pressure on himself, it's just hard to say, you know, what it is because they keep denying, you know, that they're putting too much on his plate or the offense's plate, but maybe that could be part of it. Also a little bit of a fallback to the pre-Minnesota game. Iowa all season long seems to have faced too many third and longs, and that's probably the primary reason that the third down conversion rate's pretty low. And they, they seem to solve some of that against Minnesota, especially in the first half, but then against Michigan State, another long, big batch of third and longs. And then even more puzzling Saturday, on several of those third and longs, you saw him pass off to a receiver that was significantly short of the first down marker, almost appearing that that was as if by design. And I think we've seen that most of the season. You know, you have these third and longs, and there are these passes that aren't anywhere near that first down marker, and it's, and it's just baffling whether that's the call, if that's what he sees, you know, it's just a safety valve for him or what's going on, you know, but, you know, once again, we, we saw that way too many times against Michigan State. You mentioned a couple of minutes ago about, you know, what it might take to get him taken out of the game. I'm paraphrasing what you said there. Mm-hmm. But right. you, you do have to wonder, I can understand it in this game. You're on the road in a very uh, tough place to play against one of the top defenses in the nation in bad weather. You're probably not going to want to pick that game and those conditions as the first time to put your backup quarterback in. Right. But you wonder, and, and Kurt Ferentz has shown historically he's loyal almost to a fault, especially to upperclassmen, 50 or seniors. 
Raiders in the quarterback position and, in fact, has overruled his offensive coordinator by all reports a couple of times about who should be starting. But you do have to wonder how much longer, either A, how much longer they can continue to go if Vandenberg continues this level of performance, or B, if there's such a big disparity or gap between Vandenberg and the next guy in, who's Jake Rudock, who was outstanding as a high school quarterback in Florida, it's got to be one of those two things. Uh, well, from what I had heard, you know, some talk in the press box about that topic, it did sound like there is still a very wide gap between Vandenberg and Rudock and anyone else, you know, below him. So I don't know that, that Kirk wants to put somebody else in there if he doesn't have any confidence in him or hasn't seen any, you know, seen enough from him in practice that, you know, that they have the grasp of the offense and what's going on and can be a leader out there. Because Vandenberg definitely is a leader, you know, whether or not he is performing right now, you know, you know, he does have those leadership qualities. And maybe for right now, even if, um, you know, he's not necessarily performing up to, you know, what they need or what they're looking for, he's going to stay in there for right now. And it's unfortunate, certainly from the team's perspective, that they haven't had a big enough lead all season long. Well, I guess they did in the Minnesota game and still didn't do it. But really, they, they haven't got to see Rudock in any game situations because they haven't played anybody where they've opened a big enough lead to let him go out there and play in the fourth quarter. Right. But in the past, too, you know, Ference has been very reluctant, even with those big leads, to put anyone else in there. You know, prime example is Vandenberg. When Stancy was in, there were a number of games, you know, early in the season where they did have very large leads, and Vandenberg saw very little playing time just right at the very end of the game. So when he, he did have to go start at Ohio State, and he, when he came in that previous game against Northwestern, he didn't really have much experience. So it's going to take a lot to get one of those other quarterbacks into a game. You know, it's really been puzzling to me over the last three or four years, especially where Ferentz seems to have a reluctance to do that. You Because every quarterback, or every player for that matter, is one play away from being injured and out. You'd think that they'd look for some opportunity to give the backups at every position almost, you know, the chance to get in and get some real game experience and, and then make a game type of assessment of their abilities in their play as opposed to what they see in practice. Yeah, it's always puzzled me, especially, you know, when you see the running back situation and what happens, it seems, every year that those guys it would be great if they could have had some playing time previously and gotten some carries so they've, they've had that experience and kind of know what they're getting into. You know, so a quarterback, too, that would be incredibly important. You know, when Stanzi went down, here comes Vandenberg, and he had only thrown a couple of passes to that point. Talked a little bit ago about, you don't know whether it's Vandenberg's execution or Davis's play calling. There is increasing criticism of some of those play calls, but I think you hit the nail on the head. It's hard to tell whose fault it is because we don't really know what Greg Davis is calling versus what Vandenberg's actually running at the line of scrimmage. Right, and I, I don't know that anyone will really, in that program, will talk about that. We did try getting um, the coordinators to come to the post-game press conference in East Lansing, and that didn't go over, so we didn't get a chance to talk to them at all. So I don't know if those questions are going to be answered, whether it is you know Vandenberg changing things at the line or, or doing what he feels comfortable with, or if it is that play call. Even though Iowa's offense ultimately last Saturday turned out to be balanced, 134 yards passing, 123 rushing, you can expect every team to do what you saw Michigan State do Saturday and Minnesota the week before. They're going to load that box, blitz on almost every play, and force force Iowa to try to beat them through the air, and that's going to present a real challenge. It is going to be problematic, and it's, it's going to be problematic if, we, um, if, if Weissman doesn't come back and you have somebody in there who is not as experienced and as big and can just run over people, and then you're going to have to rely more on, on Vandenberg and the receivers, and like you said, that could be very problematic as the, the Big Ten season progresses.
More from Susan Dank after this break. They go empty here on third and eight. Four-man rush, and Vandenberg's pass is low, but caught at the 10 by Keenan Davis. Only a gain of three. Fourth down, what's the point of that there, Brian? Well, I, I, <laughs> why do you always ask for these hard questions? I have no idea what they're You're the expert. Tell me why. He shouldn't have. I mean, if you're going to do that, in my opinion, if you're going to throw that ball there, then you're saying that I'm going to give you two downs to get it. But now they're going to kick it. 28-yard field goal. And Myers has now made 11 straight. So Iowa gets points, but still needs a touchdown in this game. Hello, good evening, and welcome to the middle of the film. How many things have you touched today? Hmm? Ooh, a puppy. <laughs> How many places have your hands been? Ooh, a keyboard. 24-hour hand sanitizer protection just makes sense. Prefins, a silica-based hand sanitizer protects your hands all day. Stays on, up to 10 washings, moisturizes, alcohol-free, and safe for the kids. So go ahead, touch anything and everything. Ew, a toilet. Prefins, keep your hands germ-free all day. Just a reminder that you can participate in our shows by offering your own comments and opinions on the Hawks. The toll-free hotline is available 24 hours a day. Call 866-74-HAWKS and make your voice heard. Visit HawkeyesMike.com, go to the News and Events section, and check the links for up-to-date information on Iowa games, TV channels, team schedules, and more. You can subscribe to all Hawkeyes Mike podcasts through iTunes, and you can follow Hawkeyes Mike on Twitter, Tumblr, and on Facebook. Also, be sure to check out all of the Hawkeye stories, features, and blogs in the Gazette, the Hawkeye, and the Quad City Times. And listen to Brent Balbinat on Hawkeye's Mike and on the Balbinat and Brommel Camp Show weekdays 4 to 7 p.m. on KGYM, ESPN Sports Radio in Cedar Rapids, and at KGYMRadio.com. Now back to our conversation with Susan Dink. She talks the Hawkeyes defense and special teams. Think back to just before the season began, everybody was fretting over the youth and inexperience on Iowa's defense and focusing on that as likely a weak point of the team. And it's turned out to be really, uh, other than a couple of breakdowns in the Central Michigan game, the defense has been outstanding. And last Saturday, any team is going to have to concede Le'Veon Bell his yards. But pretty much Iowa shut down Michigan State's questionable passing game. They really held Bell in check the second half. Uh, two sacks, good pressure on Maxwell most of the game. They appeared to get stronger as the game progressed, and they played better in the second half. Overall, you'd have to say that was a terrific job. Absolutely it was, and that seems to have been the story of the season. You know, they kind of come out shaky in the first half, but as the game progresses, they they definitely get stronger. You know, I was impressed with what they did with Bell. You know, he had his yards, uh, ran for 140, but he only had that one touch down the beginning of the game. He didn't make them, you know, highlight film jumping over them or, you know, just really going crazy. He didn't really have many long runs. I think his long was 27. So he didn't really, you know, run all over them. And, you know, especially at the end when they really needed to, the defense really stepped up in that overtime. You know, that Greg Castillo interception was just, you know, the icing on the cake there. Like you said, the only touchdown by Bell and by Michigan State came on that short field after the interception 
intercepted Vandenberg. And one of the more outstanding drives in the whole game for the Iowa defense was Michigan State's last scoring drive in regulation, where they got inside the 10-yard line, and Iowa's defense stiffened, and even with Le'Veon Bell, held Michigan State to a field goal. That was great. That was a 72-yard drive that, you know, started at the 23, and and it was the first time that Michigan State, for a very long time, had actually been able to move the ball on on the Iowa defense. You know, a, a long play, you know, they did, they got down to the five, and, you know, Iowa just kept turning them away with, you know, batting down passes and holding Bell to two yards and four yards, and they just couldn't get anything. So, you know, that was a, a great stop right there that, that kept Iowa within striking distance. Exceptional play overall, again, by the linebacking core. Anthony Hitchens now leads the nation, and of course, the Big Ten in tackles. He's averaging 13 tackles a game, which is pretty amazing. He seems to still struggle a bit on the short inside pass coverage, but Mark Cook commented last week that this is what you're going to see out of Iowa is a team defense, but it's clearly the case. That's what's happening right now, and one of your sports writer colleagues wrote earlier this week, if it wasn't for the Mark Weissman story, Joe Gaglione would be getting a lot of media attention because his development and play has been exceptional. Absolutely. Coming into the season, it's like, Joe who? <laughs> and, you know, and now just what he's been doing and being able to get to the quarterback and make tackles is just been amazing. And it's just, you know, as Kirk always says, there are just all these great stories that come out of out of that program. And Joe is definitely one of them. Well, we talked about Iowa's three and outs and third down conversions. Iowa's defense forced Michigan State to punt nine times. The Spartans had five three and outs. They sacked Maxwell twice and they had six tackles for loss. The Iowa defense, you know, has just been incredible. Maxwell, I think, is a lot like, you know, Vandenberg. Uh, he has a lot of issues finding his receivers sometimes and in, in making plays. But I think a lot of that on Saturday was, you know, the Iowa defense getting to him and forcing him to do some things that maybe he didn't want to do and, and definitely getting in his face quite a bit. Were you surprised at all or was there any talk in, in you're into the press box at the end of uh, regulation there when Iowa got its only touchdown that it appeared Ference never even considered going for two points. The old rule of thumb was that when you're on the road, you go for the win. When you're at home, you're more likely to go for the tie. Two-point conversion would have given Iowa the lead with 55 seconds to go, yet I never heard anybody talk about that. I wonder if, if maybe part of that decision wasn't based on the fact that Weissman had to leave the game, so you didn't have you know you, your your big back who could get, get into the end zone on the field at that point. I think that also might have hurt them a little bit in overtime. But I wonder if that didn't play a part in, in making that decision that and the weather too, you know, the wind and the rain and, and everything else, you know, maybe playing a part in that. And they have a lot of confidence in, in Mike Meyer right now. Yeah, we've seen Ferentz do that before, though. And kind of, I mean, it's interesting. Usually he's conventional play calling walking. But in this case, in these two-point conversion possibilities, late in games, remember a couple of years ago at Ohio State, they were in that same situation and didn't try to do that either. So I, I don't know. He, maybe he's just averse or is willing to take his chance for the tie on the road and try to win an o, OT, or he doesn't trust his offense to be able to make the two-point conversion. I, I think it's probably a, a big combination of all that. You know, he is very conservative. I think, um, you know, I don't know. He had seen something out of his offense that last drive that maybe you, you thought he would have had 
a little bit of confidence that they could maybe get that done at that point. But it just seems to be, you know, the way he operates. For a switch last Saturday, it was an Iowa's coaching staff that looked confused and unprepared on more than one occasion. It was Michigan State's, and they had mass confusion on their last drive at the end of the first half. It cost them a field goal attempt. In fact, that was one of the more weird nine plays that I've seen all year. It was. <laughs> and, and then late in the game on their last scoring drive in regulation, they it looked like they were going to try to do some kind of trickery with, out of uh, some kind of a wildcat formation, and they couldn't get that executed either. And either one of those drives might have resulted in the game not even getting to overtime. Right. Yeah, it, it was really odd that they were so discombobulated and didn't really seem to know what was going on, you know, for a, a coach who's been around and, and has a staff that they think that they would know, you know, what the plan is or that they could get something run or a timeout called or whatever the case may be, but it, it just didn't look like that this week. So Iowa sits atop Legends Division along with Michigan. That loss probably took Michigan State out of the running altogether, barring some real combination of bizarre outcomes in the rest of these games. And Wisconsin probably clinched the leaders' division slot in the Big Ten Championship game Saturday with its uh, dominant win over Purdue due to the ineligibility of Ohio State and Penn State. Yeah, that, that sounds kind of funny to say that you can clinch a spot in the championship game so early in the season, you know, but with those those two teams. And, and Purdue was supposed to have a chance to really compete. And obviously, you know, they just have kind of fallen flat so far this season. Um, but the Legends division, it can kind of interesting, you know, with Iowa and Michigan up there and, and Iowa having to go to Ann Arbor this season. It could be very interesting. And it seemed as if uh, Kirk, it was a very emotional win for Kirk. He always downplays the milestones in his coaching career, uh, his 100th win at Iowa. He appeared very emotional as he took his headset off at the end of that game. He was very emotional at a couple of points in the locker room. And I didn't get to see him right after the game. We were on our way down to the field as it was ending. And he did obviously kind of downplay it. But there were a few times as he was talking about it that he kind of, you could tell that he was kind of having to compose himself as he, he talked about it. You know, so it does mean something to him as much as he tries to pretend that it doesn't. How much of a confidence boost do you think this is for this Iowa team, maybe even the offense at this point in the season? No, oh, I think it's huge. I mean, you had that huge win over Minnesota, but it was at home. In Minnesota is Minnesota. They're never quite powerhouse in the Big Ten. But then to go to Michigan State, to a team that really was supposed to compete and with the, the top defense of the conference, and to, to go in there and come out of there with the win, that is huge going into this week in Penn State. A short kick fielded at the 20-yard line by Jordan Cotton, who gets a seed. And Cotton is free at the 40-yard line in the Michigan State territory. Stays in bounds. Touchdown, Iowa. There's a penalty flag at the 37-yard line in Michigan State territory. But how about that on a short kick with a running start? Cotton fields it on one side of the field and then ends up on the other side. 82-yard return. We'll see if it comes back, though. Call in and express your opinions about the Hawks. To make your voice heard on HawkeyesMike.com, call toll-free 866-74-HAWKS and join our guest experts on weekly podcasts.
Hawkeye's Mike Football Shows are brought to you in part by Prefence Hand Sanitizer, the revolutionary antimicrobial hand sanitizer that is alcohol-free and lasts all day with a single application. Try the hand sanitizer the Iowa Hawkeyes use. And remember, the best defense is Prefence. And by the Marsh Cook Investment Group, Wells Fargo Advisors Financial Network in Coralville, Iowa. Call 319-512-6261 or toll-free 800-883-0842. Marsh Cook, for all your investment needs. Our thanks again to ESPN for the game highlights, and thanks to Susan Dank. We hope you've enjoyed this Hawkeyes Mike podcast, that you'll come back for more, and that you will participate by phoning and making your own voice heard on our shows. Call 866-74-HAWKS. It's all Hawkeyes all the time on HawkeyesMike.com. One passion, many voices. Nice work, everyone. Sharp broadcast. Really good. Everyone on the floor as well. Really a lot of hustle. I liked it. This has been a presentation of Hawkeye's Mike, LLC.